unwavering our hope that Christ in power has resurrected and we will too when he comes. What a wonderful hope that we have in Christ. I would invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of first, uh, Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. We were, um, we kind of came to the end of a section of Matthew and I really only had two weeks and so I didn't wanna start a new section just to come to our prayer conference. And so uh, we're gonna be starting back in Matthew uh, the week after our prayer conference. We'll be there for just a little while. Then it's gonna be time for Thanksgiving and Advent. Can you believe that? This year's gone by pretty quick, hasn't it? And so Second Peter chapter one this morning. And, and you know, we're, we're discussing last week, we talked about um, uh, hearing his words and dwelling on these things. We kind of gave you a, a method for how to meditate upon the word of God. And, and really that method we taught using those Philippians 4.8 questions, what is true about this? What is honorable about this? What is excellent about this? All of those questions, really, that can be used to think about any situation in life and, and to bring a Christian worldview in our minds and everything that we look at and everything that we listen to and everything we behold, we can use those to reflect on them. But the question is, is how do we grow in the Christian life? How do we reach Christian maturity? And that's what we want to look at this morning, First Peter, Second Peter you're gonna hear me do that a lot this morning. So Second uh, Peter chapter one, and let's just go ahead. I will ask you to, uh, well, we just stood, so let's, uh, I'll ask you to keep seated as we uh, listen to the word of God read this morning. You follow along with me as I read aloud for you. The word of God says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly kindness, brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Christ Jesus. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God and how sweet it is, amen? Amen. I don't know if you've had the same kind of experiences that I had, but I was saved when I was 15. I was saved at your typical kind of church camp experience, uh, a church camp some of you might be familiar with. It's in Wicks, Arkansas. It's called Bog Springs Baptist Camp. 
And I was saved at that camp when I was 15, and, and I had a hunger, a desire to grow in Christ. And so every week, every year, excuse me, I would go back to that camp, and, and I would get so excited for the Lord. I would, get, I, I would be so convicted and so ready. This year is going to be different. And yet every year I would go back and I would get back into my routine. It, it, that, that fire would last for about two or three weeks. And then I would be kind of up to my same old habits and my same old things again, only for next year to go through the same cycle. Guys, I've told you this before. I threw away the same Aerosmith CD three different times. Like I would go to camp and I would be convicted about listening to Aerosmith, right? And so I would throw it away. And then about two or three weeks later, I'd get to missing it again and I'd go out and buy it again. And then, and I bought the same CD like three times. I think they should give me a medal. I don't see that coming. I won't be waiting in the mail for it. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that frustrating? Have you ever gone through that? Maybe you've been in one of those places where, you know, they, they, you wrote your stuff down on a piece of paper and you threw it in a fire, or, or maybe you had a rock and you threw it out over a mountain, or, or maybe it's something like that. You've had all these experiences where you're just giving it to God. And yet, for some reason, he seems to just give it right back to you after a little while. <clears throat> what is that? Why is growing in the Christian life so difficult? Why is it so confusing? One of the reasons why is because there tends to be two extremes on how Christians teach how to grow. One extreme is to ignore our position in Christ now, this is the legalist. They judge themselves by their ability to keep rules. By, and, and most of the time, it's not even God's rules. Most of the time, it's their own rules or some watered-down version of God's rules that they can keep. It's usually something like that. They usually judge others by their ability to keep their rules. And it leads to either one of two things. There's only two ways you can walk out of a legalistic environment. You will either leave with pride, thinking that you have made it, or you will leave with despair, thinking that you can never live up. That's the only two places that legalism can go. Pride or despair. And that's the first extreme, is that we ignore our position in Christ. But the second extreme is that we ignore our responsibilities in Christ. <clears throat> to where what happens is, is that you ignore the obedience to God's commands. Uh, there's actually a word for this. It's called antinomian. In other words, it comes from anti against namas law. What it means is, is that any kind of obedience to God or any kind of reference to obeying God is considered to be legalism. And so like, for example, even when you run across a command in scripture and you mention it to someone like this, they'll say something like, well, Christ has already obeyed that for you, so you don't have to worry about that. They'll say something like that. Or they'll say something like, like um, you don't have to worry about obey, it's about a relationship. They'll say something like those kinds of things. And what's so difficult about both of these extremes is that both of them have a ring of truth in them. They sound correct. It's not necessarily that they're wrong in what they say, it's wrong in what they're leaving out. 
And so this morning, my hope, my, my goal is to help you understand the big picture of how Christian maturity comes so that you will begin pursuing it with a right and balanced biblical understanding. That's what we wanna do this morning. And so just a little bit about first, uh, Second Peter. I told you I'm gonna do that all morning. Uh, Second Peter, just a little bit. Uh, most people will say it's written against false teachers. That is true. There's a lot of uh, teaching about false teachers in the text. And yet, what I want you to see is that that's really not the main theme of the book. The main theme of the book is that Peter is wanting his readers to live a Christian life in the midst of a culture that is going continually, continually against them. And one of the ways that's gonna show up inside the church is through false teachers. Now, in 1 Peter, and I really mean it this time, 1 Peter, Peter is addressing the church and teaching them how to live in light of the pressure that's coming from outside the church. Second Peter is how to live as a Christian in a world where we are being attacked from inside the church. Satan always has his agents in the church. Beloved, and they are everywhere. You can get on the blogosphere, you can find a YouTube video and find some Christian teacher who will teach you anything that you want to be taught. You can do that. And so that's what Second Peter is about. He wrote this to remind believers to live a life that is pleasing to God by his grace alone. And he begins with this amazing section in verses three through 11. It overviews Christian growth. In other words, it shows us the process of maturity. And beloved, what we're gonna see this morning is that in this text, we are called to pursue Christian maturity through his power and his grace alone. It comes from his power, not from ours. And so what do we need to know here? Peter basically is going to give us three instructions. Here they are. Number one, we need to acknowledge our resources. We need to accept our responsibilities and we need to anticipate the result. We need to acknowledge our resources. We need to accept our responsibilities and we need to anticipate the results. You ready? Here we go. Let's look in verse three. First thing we see here is that we must acknowledge our resources. We must acknowledge our resources. Look in, look in verse three. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now let's just stop right there for a minute. This is a divine truth that you need to understand that everything, everything is accomplished by his power. It is accomplished by his ability. And it sounds so fundamental, doesn't it? That everything we do is accomplished by the power of God. And yet, beloved, this is so easy to forget. So easy to forget. I wanted to thank you for allowing me to attend the pastor's retreat this weekend. And one of the, and, and I loved it, it was a great retreat, but one of the speakers, there was one speaker in, in particular that, uh, that really kind of got on my nerves because he kept telling us he was a trained psychologist, he was not a theologian. Of course, my first question is, is why are you even up there? Uh, 
But, but he went on to basically talk about how men are pastors and men are just a bunch of dumb animals who respond to the praise of women because that's how our mothers raised us. <coughs> and he then went on to say, and ladies, you'll love this, if your husband leaves you, it is your fault because he went seeking the praise of another woman because you did not praise him enough. That was his message. Now you tell me, does the church need that? No. no. We do not need that. Beloved, we don't need any help from anything that the world has to offer because Peter tells us that God's divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness in this world. Now that's not to say that other things can't help us understand specifics. I'm not saying that. But we need to understand the most fundamental truth is that God's power has given you what you need for life and godliness. All things, everything we need. How? Through the gospel. Look on in verses three and four. He says, how through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us very great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There's a lot to unpack there. I'm not gonna be able to unpack it all because this is more of an overview. But I want you to notice what he's doing here. Basically, the idea of the verse is that he has given us all the promises of the kingdom so that we might become partakers in the divine nature. That is very strong language, isn't it? In fact, if it were not here in the scripture, I might be hesitant to use it, but, but there's no mystery here, really. All we're really talking about is that his divine nature has given us what we need in order to be like Christ, in order to become like Christ. That's what he has given us. It's the promise of the Spirit. In fact, let's look at a few verses here, Ezekiel Chapter, 20, chapter 36, I believe it's on the board. This is the promise of the new covenant. This is one of the reasons why John read the new covenant this morning, the promise of it. Because notice what he says here. I will put my spirit within you, and watch this, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Where's the power coming from there? I will put my spirit within you. That's the new covenant. That's Pentecost, right? And where's the responsibility? God will cause us, he will empower us to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Where does this promise come? Acts chapter eight, verse one. Look what he says there. This is coming from Christ. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Beloved, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The new covenant began at the moment of Pentecost, but the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit indwelt you as well. And he gave you power to walk in his ways and, and specifically in this text to become his witness. Look in Romans chapter eight, verses three and four. 
He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, and watch this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. There's the position, right? And then what's the responsibility? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so this is the promise we have. All the resources that we have and that we need for godliness and holiness in life, we are given by Christ through his spirit. Do you guys remember a movie that came out several years ago? I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think it was quite a long time ago, but it had Tom Hanks in it. And um, I think it's called Castaway. He was a FedEx employee who was uh, on a plane crash and he was marooned on an island by himself, I think for like five years or something like that. You guys remember that movie? Okay, do you remember the FedEx commercial that came out for the Super Bowl that year? You don't? Let me tell you about it. So what they did was they took the music from Castaway. They couldn't get Tom Hanks, but they got a guy that kind of looked like him. And you remember in the movie, he had that one package that he, he, always refused the op- he always refused to open. And so he kept it and he delivers it at the end of the movie. Well, the FedEx commercial shows that delivery. And he comes up and he says, I, I've been marooned on an island for five years and, and this package kept me alive and, and I never opened it because I'm a FedEx employee. And she says, oh, thanks. And she starts opening. He says, oh, by the way, what's in the package? She says, oh, just some silly things. Satellite phone, GPS, uh, here's some seeds for planting, uh, a fishing pole, uh, basically everything he would need for survival, right? <laughs> It was a great commercial. Look it up on YouTube if you can. But um, guys, a lot of Christians live their lives like that. They, they were stranded on this island of, 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 of fear and sin and hopelessness. And we have all the resources available to us for rescue. And yet we never take advantage of them. We never take advantage of them. Why do we do that? Why would you not do that? Let's look at Romans 8 for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Just an overview of this incredible chapter of the Holy Spirit. We've read this chapter before. We've studied it before. You know this, but just to stir up by way of reminder So look in verse 11, look at all the resources we have. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He gives us life. Verse 14, he leads us for all who are led by the spirit of God, are sons of God. Verse 15, You've not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Skip on down to verse 26. The spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know how to pray. And yet he utters words, for us. 
Verse 27, he is interceding for us. Do you realize the resources that you have available to you in the Christian life? Why would you not take advantage of it? Is it because you don't realize it? Is it because you don't really long for it? Or maybe it's because you're unconvinced of it. Beloved, whatever your reason, repent of it. Repent of that reason and begin to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Claim it, know it, it is yours. Reckon it to yourselves and walk in it. And what are we to do with all these resources? We acknowledge our resources, then from there we must accept our responsibilities. We must accept our responsibilities. Go back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter in verse, verses 5, beginning in verse 5. Apparently I have my ribbon in the wrong spot, so hang on a second. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says, now... For this very reason. Now, stop right there for a moment because most people will say that this is merely thankfulness. And and it certainly does include that. But everything that Peter is going to tell us to do, he says now, because of this reason. In other words, because you have the power, because you have everything you need in light of everything that God has accomplished for us and done for us, the very power that he has given to us. Beloved, the best way that you can show thanks to somebody who gives you a gift is to use it, right? I mean, how many of us love to get a gift and see it collecting dust on a shelf at our friend's house, right? Don't you just love that? The best way we can show thankfulness for a gift is to actually use it. And God has given us this wonderful gift of his spirit. And now let's make every effort, or I love the way the NASB translated. It says, with all diligence, make every effort here. Maturing in the Christian life requires effort, beloved. It is, it is not simply sit and wait. It is not idleness. It is not just waiting to let go and let God. It is not those things. It requires effort on our part. It requires diligence on our part. I love how one person put it. Faith is not only foundational, but it is also functional. In other words, Everything we do with our time, resources, all of our effort, that is how we express our faith. That is how we express our faith, to lay hold of the promises that God has given. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, and this is the champion of justification by faith, but what does he say? He says, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, don't miss the verse that comes after that because he then says, for God, for it is God that gives you both the will and the strength to do his will. I want you to notice there, it's not either or, it's both. Not, we're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about justification here. We are talking about holiness. We are talking about pursuing maturity in Christ. And that does require our diligence. 
That's why James chapter two, verse 26 says that faith without works is dead. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about that we must, he's not contradicting Paul. But what he's saying is that a faith that is merely intellectual assent and nothing more is a faith that is not real. Genuine faith works. And, and what does it do? Look in verses five through seven. A couple of things to notice here, and, and we're not gonna, you can make a whole series of sermons uh, on this alone. We're not gonna do that this morning. But look what he says. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I want, you a couple, I want you to notice a couple things here. Number one is that the idea here is development, okay? In other words, these are, this is not something that, okay, you, you've conquered virtue, now let's add knowledge. Okay, I've conquered knowledge, now let's add all these other things. That, that's not what we're doing here. It's the idea of development. It's a, it, he's describing a process. He's described, in fact, and if you need proof of that, just look down in verse eight. It says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing. Beloved, listen, you need to understand, maturity is not, Christian maturity or any kind of maturity for that matter, it's not a destination, it's a process. It's a direction. Am I a mature individual? Yeah, I'm mature for a 44-year-old man. Am I more mature than Art? No, Why? because he's got like 80 years on me. <laughs> I might have overestimated that a little bit, but uh, <laughs> he's got a lot of years on me. So, so is he more mature than I am? Sure. I don't have any trouble with that. Am I more mature than a 15-year-old? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> in other words, listen, guys, we're not, we're not talking about a destination here. We're talking about a process. Beloved, holiness is not a destination. It is a process. There's no magical place you reach and where now you say, now I'm holy. Beloved, in counseling, I can't look at someone and say, okay, you are 10% more like Christ this year than you were last year. I can't do that. There's no, there's no measure for that. There's nothing we can look at. All we can ask is, am I pursuing Christ more this year? than I was last year. And that's what we're talking about. If these things are, in, are yours and they are increasing, we're continually adding these things. And most of them are self-explanatory. Steadfastness, add uh, brotherly kindness, godliness. The first one can be a little confusing, virtue. If you're using the New American Standard again, or maybe some of your other translations, it might say moral excellence. I, I think that that's probably a, a clearer translation, translation. Why is it first? Well, there's no real particular order here. I don't think we have an order of how we do it. We just have a list of qualities that we should be pursuing. And moral excellence, what we're talking about is that we live a life in a way that reflects the excellence, the moral excellence of God. We live life in a way that reflects his goodness, that reflects his moral holiness, that, that reflects all of these things. We're living a life that reflects his excellency. And that every aspect of our life, not just in our words, 
not but in our actions and our attitudes and everything we do, all of our life screams Jesus. We proclaim his excellencies through our actions and through our words. That's what that's talking about. And to these things, we, we add all of these other things with all diligence. There is nothing too small and there is nothing too large that we cannot do to pursue holiness. There is no action too radical to be holy. There is no action too radical to avoid sin in our lives and to pursue the excellency of Christ. So you see, Randy, I don't really understand this positional versus responsibility. I don't get that. Well, well, let me, let me give you an example. And, and some of you have heard this example before, but imagine you're on a boat in the middle of the lake and you tied a rope to a tree. My grandfather used to do this. He would tie a rope to a tree and it would be a very long rope. And he, we would leave the end of the rope in the boat and we would just push off onto the lake and we would just float off wherever the, the currents or the wind of, of the lake would take us, right? And we would stay out there in what seemed like forever until finally he would say, Randy, it's time to go back to the shore, pull us in. And I would grab that rope and I would start pulling the rope to bring us back to the shore. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, that there is real effort involved there, right? Because what am I doing? I'm, I'm using my muscles, I'm pulling, on this, I'm pulling on the rope, and I'm pulling us back to the shore. But let me ask you a question. What is it really that's pulling me back to the shore? Is it my effort? No. It's the fact that the rope is tied to the tree. You see, the tree is our position in Christ. And all we're doing is we're using the strength of the tree to pursue him and to approach him. That's what we're doing. Now, the ones who ignore our position in Christ, they get pulling the rope right. They're pulling on that rope all day long. But the problem is it's not tied to anything. And so where are you gonna go? Nowhere. Nowhere. That's right. Not gonna go anywhere. Now, the ones who are all about position but they ignore the responsibilities. They've got, the, they, they've got it tied to the tree, but they left the rope on the shore. Where are they going? Either way, you're stuck on the lake, right? You've got to have both. You've got to have both. You've got to understand. You've got to be tied to your anchor. You've got to be tied to your position in Christ and recognize your position in Christ. But you've also got to extend effort on pulling that rope back to the shore. That's the only way you can be unstuck from the lake. Beloved, why are more Christians not growing in Christ? Why is it that so many Christians are not accepting our responsibilities, are not pursuing holiness. I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think number one, because we live in a culture that celebrates immaturity. Have you noticed that? We live in a culture that celebrates immaturity. We do that. In fact, this is a this is a telltale sign of, of these days. Look in 2 Timothy, just a couple pages over for most of us. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And, and look at all these descriptions of the kind of people who will characterize the last days. They'll be lovers of self, disobedient to parents, unappeasable, without self-control, reckless, lovers of pleasure, led by various passions. Beloved, does that not describe our culture? We live in a childish culture, do we not? I like to say that you'll be hearing from my attorney is the adult version of I'm telling mom. <laughs> we live in a childish culture that celebrates immaturity. And some of that has come into the church. A lot of that has come into the church to where we have churches that value other things other than spiritual maturity. They'll value talent over maturity. We'll put anyone in front of you as long as, as, long as they can play an instrument. Doesn't matter if they're in rebellion against God or not. We'll put them in front of you. They value talent over maturity. Business acumen over maturity, status and culture over spiritual maturity, economic status over spiritual maturity. Churches will put anyone in front of you if they have any of these things. And yet oftentimes they will not have maturity in Christ. Look up just about any YouTube video of a lot of the popular churches today and see the kind of people who are leading worship. They act like children. They act like children. I know of churches that their entire worship team are made up of people who are in rebellion against God, a rebellion against their own churches. And they left and joined another church and they were immediately made the worship team. It's rebellion. And churches value talent over maturity. I think that's the reason why. Paul said as an example in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned a child, but oh, beloved, when, when Paul became a man, what did he do? He put away childish things. Do you realize the defining characteristic of false religion is chasing after passions? How many people are going to church week after week after week trying to chase an experience and not the truth of God, not sanctification, not growth? I think that's why. And I'm sure there are other reasons. But beloved, let's press on to maturity. Let's press on to maturity. And why? Because only then can we anticipate the result. And we anticipate the result. Look at the rest of the passage in 2 Peter, just very quickly. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we already saw that, watch this. They will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective in ministry, they will keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
You know what's amazing is that I'll go to these church growth seminars and all the verses that actually talk about church growth, they never come up in these seminars. I have never heard this verse preached in a church growth seminar before. But look what he says. If these things are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, Calvary Baptist Church, do we want to be effective? Do we want to be fruitful? Then these things need to be ours and increasing. This is the way. This is the way. He goes on. He says, and you will confirm your calling in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I, I hear people all the time, you know, you guys who, who, say, who teach election, you can never know whether you're in your faith or not. Oh, yeah, you can. How? By being diligent. By being diligent, here's what it says. If you are diligent in these things, you will confirm your calling and election. Beloved, are you struggling with doubts? Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling with sin and wondering, can God really love someone as messed up as I am? I've had all of those doubts. And you know when I find that I have those doubts the most? When I'm not being diligent, when I'm not being diligent. Look at verse 11. He says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, don't you, when you go to heaven, don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Don't you want to hear that? Peter's telling you how you can. He's telling you how to get there. What about those who neglect? In verse nine, a warning, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Have you ever, have you ever watched someone and just wondered how can they not realize that this is a problem? How can they not realize it? I mean, it can be a person who is, who is so, they seem so mature in the faith and yet they're living in blatant sin and you just kind of wonder, how, did, how does this person of all people not see it? Because those who are not increasing in these qualities become so nearsighted that they are blind and they forget their sin. They can't see it. You know, when churches are struggling, they tend to try and find two things. They tend to try to find programs and they tend to find personalities. They tend to look for the right programs and personalities to, because that's what they think will get them out of a slump. That's what they think will help their struggle. Beloved, no, it will not. It won't. Programs and personalities do not grow a church. Jesus grows his church. People ask me all the time, what are, you, what are you doing to grow Calvary Baptist Church? Why are you seeing so much fruit? I'm not doing anything. I don't want to compete with Jesus. We're not doing anything. We don't want to compete with Jesus. Amen? Jesus builds his church. But the more we become like Christ, the more he will entrust us to be his body. 
The more we become like Christ, the more we will be his body in the community. 1 Timothy 4, 16 says this, he says, and this is another verse that never shows up in the church growth seminars, but here's what he says. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself. Now he's talking about ensuring, confirming salvation in yourself and your hearers. Love it, do you... Do you want to bring salvation to those who hear us? Do you want to be effective in ministry? Then keep a close watch on ourselves and the teaching. There's a lot of people out there who can grow a crowd. Only Jesus can grow a church. And they're not the same. You will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear. Is that not what we want to do? Is that not what we want to do? And so we saw this morning that if we're going to pursue Christian maturity, we must do so by acknowledging our resources, accept our responsibilities so that we can anticipate our results. That's what we see in this amazing verse. And, and maybe you're thinking, Randy, I've started a hundred times. I've, I've started this. I've read this verse. I've done this a hundred times. And every time I have failed, what have I done wrong? What have I done that I keep falling flat? Well, first of all, you need to understand this is not easy. In fact, it's not difficult. It is impossible apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's why the first thing we must do is acknowledge the resources we have in Christ. And only then can we accept our responsibilities. But moving on, what do you do? You persevere. You keep going. And when you do, be especially mindful of a couple of things. And I just, I just wanna give you these just very quickly. These are not mine. These are from a a wonderful saint, Thomas Watson. He wrote a book called The Godly Man's Picture. It's one of these old Puritans that I love. And here's some of the things that he says in the back of his book. Keep in mind those things that cause you to fall off. Beware of those things. It can be different for different people. Watch, for example, watch out for jealousy. Watch out for jealousy of the world. We see this in, in Psalm 73 with Asaph and he's looking at those who are wicked and what a good life they have and, and he's wondering why he's suffering so much. But you know, you can also do this being jealous of, uh, of other churches or being, je you know, being jealous of the church down the street that God seems to be blessing so much and, and seems, uh, you, you can be jealous of a Christian that God is blessed in a certain way and you wonder, why is God not blessing me that way? Beloved, that is a killer to your spirit. Jealousy is a cancer that's hard to get rid of. So, so be especially mindful of jealousy. Number two, be especially mindful of unbelief unbelief. Yeah, this stuff sounds good, but it doesn't work. Hebrews chapter three says, be careful that there is not a spirit of unbelief within you like there was in the first generation of Israel that died in the wilderness. Be careful that there is not a spirit of unbelief, that you're not doubting the Lord. Number three, especially mindful of fear. 
especially mindful of fear. I don't know what God will do if I pursue him with all my heart. Beloved, that's the point. (laughs) You don't know what God will do. But let me ask you a question. If he was gonna mess up your life, do you think he would really want your permission to do it? (laughs) Would he really wait for you to do that? Beloved, God, those who put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ are safe. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Don't fear hardship. The one who trusts in Yahweh is safe. That's what that Psalm says. That proverb, excuse me. So be mindful of those things and be mindful of the means of grace that God gives us for growth. I'll just put them all up there. You can find them in Acts 2.42. Be diligent in the word. Be faithful in fellowship. Be faithful in the ordinances and you can include worship in that. But that's part of it. Be faithful in prayer. The means that God gives us in order that we might grow. Be especially mindful of those because beloved, if you're growing by other means, if, you're, if, you're, if you think you're becoming mature by means that God has not specifically given us, then you cannot guarantee that your maturity is actually in Christ. It might be maturity in the world. It might be maturity in legalism. You don't know. But when we're faithful to God's appointed means, we know that the growth is coming from him. That's what we wanna do. Love it, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, you cannot grow in Christ. You cannot sanctify an unbeliever. You cannot grow a dead person. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You need a resurrection. And that's what Christ gives us. He came on the earth to die on the cross for our sins. He lived an absolutely perfect life, earning the righteousness that we need. And then he died on the cross in order to pay the penalty for our sins that we deserve. And on the third day, he rose from the grave, victorious over death and hell and and, and the grave. Oh, he was seen by over 500 people most especially the apostles who gave us the inspired word. And now he has ascended to the right hand of God and he's offering himself to you as a rescue from your sins, as a deliverer, as a savior. Beloved, if you'll place your trust in him this morning, you can have eternal life. Will you place your trust in him? Will you pursue him in holiness with all your heart? That's the questions we wanna ask this morning. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a mystery. Becoming holy is not like an Easter egg hunt where we just have to roam around in the dark wondering where everything is. But Lord, you have given us exactly what we need, everything we need for life and godliness in your kingdom in this world. And I pray that we are all availing ourselves to your appointed means of grace, Lord. That we are are all partaking of the wonderful provisions that you have given us so that we might grow in you. 
And if there's one in here who does not know you as Savior, I pray this morning will be the morning that they come to you. I'm gonna ask you to stand and just reflect on the things we've said. And if you're here this morning and you want to be prayed for, if you say, Randy, I, I, I know that I need to pursue holiness. I just don't, I just need some specifics. I need some, I need some guidance. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? You can come down and request that. You don't have to come down. You can ask afterwards, whatever the need is. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I invite you to come as our, as our musician plays this morning.